Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 27 of Creative Writing Podcast. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about some stuff. We may even talk about some things and some stuff about some things. Oh, yeah. Let this jam kick in for a second until you realize what time it is. Now, real quickly, um, I'm going to be out of town. This weekend, I'm going to be up in Misfits territory. Yeah, you heard me. Motorcycles Misfits. I am going to be up there in Napa. I know that's not like directly by you, but it's closer to you than me. So if you come into the garage on Sunday and there's a gigantic dick spray painted on the front door, um, I stopped by to say hello. Going up there for Bottle Rock, which is a music festival celebrating um, guitars and drums put together in a melodious sound that, you know, sometimes people sing in front of. So that ought to be pretty fun. It's supposed to be some really nice weather. It's been gloomy here in SoCal for some reason for like the last week. Uh, Almost every day I thought it was going to rain. So I did get some riding in over the weekend, which is really great. And I'm going to do the stock versus squares. They're challenged to go somewhere new. And I've actually uh, thought about some things to do for my show as well. Instead of just horking on everybody else's show. Damn, I love this jam. You know, I made this thing uh, for some background music, and I turned out really liking it. it. Took me a while to make it, so I'm pretty proud of it. So that was probably the most annoying 26 seconds of your life. It's over. Don't worry. So um, things I'd like to mention on this show is uh, Motorcycles and Misfits movie review. Uh, I'd like to thank Chris Singsheim and Michelle Mankiewicz for sending me their immediate response to that movie last Thursday, right after they saw it, and just in time for me to add it into my show. Hearing Motorcycles and Misfits talk about it this week verified and confirmed everything they said about it, and Chris was lovely enough to share his personal review and opinion of the movie on Creative Writing uh, Facebook page. So thank you very much for that, Chris. And again, thank you, Chris and Michelle, for breaking the story here first. And, you know, uh, something else that has been popping up left and right is uh, Michael Sizz passing this earlier this month I've also heard that uh, on Motorcycles and Misfits but I've heard it like 15 other places this week alone and it happened uh, weeks ago I mean he died literally three weeks ago now I believe so it's just making the rounds now for some reason a multitude of things happening this weekend uh, not the smallest uh, bit of which is the Isle of Man TT. That didn't even make sense. Not the smallest bit of which. That's so stupid. But anyway, Isle of Man TT, uh, the TT begins this weekend, not the Manx, which is like the like Pro-Am event that's in August. That's the race up the mountain, and shortly thereafter is the race up the mountain to the clouds, which is Pike's Peak, and there's some interesting news um, coming out of that corner of the racing market. 
And also, uh, I'd like to talk about riding around in this part of town. So, before I get into all of that, I'd like to introduce a segment that I'm going to call Riding in Cars with Boys. I think that was a movie. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, Michelle Mankiewicz has been doing that lately, and she sent us a video clip. I'm going to call this Lane Splitting. Take it away, Michelle. We're here to discuss with you lane splitting. (laughs) So I realized (laughs) that when I was talking to you, lane splitting in California, in states where it's legal, is different than here in Wisconsin. So in Wisconsin and Illinois, as I talked to you about, it's totally illegal. But um, here, what happens is, what I didn't clarify is the seven times at that point when I was in Chicago, when people were lane splitting, what it was was I was going 80 miles an hour on the freeway and people were passing me like the bikes were passing me like I was standing still. So they were probably doing like what, like 100, 110, something like that. So that kind of lane splitting is not safe. And as Kodas here just explained, if he would. <laughs> just lane change. If you had lane change, we have dead motorcyclists on the road, and that's no fun. So, we are <laughs> going to say that the kind of lane splitting that Wisconsinites and Illinoisites... Illinois. No, idiots. <laughs> what they do is not, is not smart. I totally get, though, in California that it's different, and you don't want to be sweating your balls off. If, so, it's done, if it's done the right way, it's not wrong. If it's done right, yeah. Like, totally cool. So, I just wanted to clarify that. And making videos is fun. So, I hope you're having a really great day in California. And it's 76 degrees here right now. We're having a heat wave and we're headed to Auto Motion. And uh, grumpy old Chris is on his way. It's going to be a hoot. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed your piles of coke. Producer Steve, we'll catch you on the flip. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy. Well, thank you, Michelle, for checking in, and thanks, Mr. Cotis, for driving her and getting to Automotion safely. I think I reported on Automotion months ago. Hey, check out Automotion. It looks fun. So if I didn't, uh, I should have. Also, Michelle, thank you for congratulating me on the gratuitous use of cocaine um, to get the last podcast out. Those piles of coke that I had to rail in order to uh, finish that up at midnight or whatever the heck it was, just totally awesome and got me through the night. Sometimes you have to do things when you're a parent. Um, Sleep is a precious commodity. Um, If you have two kids like I do and... Sometimes cocaine is a facilitator. So also, uh, speaking of like riding in cars last week with Chris, uh, this week with CODIS, stick around toward the end of the show because I want to talk about this wonderful community up there in Wisconsin. I know I mentioned it last week and I just want to reiterate a few finer points, some things that I've seen their community doing to reach out to other racers. So stick around to the end of the show. Yo mama has a camel toe. All right. Peace. So... Yeah, you know, lane splitting, done right, obviously is uh, safe. And I will point out once again, if you ever visit California, be prepared because um, just the density of traffic uh, usually necessitates that you split. If you heard 
Sarah in our last episode talking about um, going to school in Vegas and, and having her bike over there with her for, I think, the year or whatever it was that she went to nursing school over there. It was horrible, horrid in the summer when it's, you know, 120 already and the asphalt is baking 140 and it's shooting that up into your nether regions and even onto your legs and everything. And you're just sitting out there in the sun with no air flowing over you. It's got to be hot. You got to get dehydrated. It's got to be miserable to ride. And yeah, splitting lanes. I don't know why. I mean, I understand for most of Nevada, it's just a vast, um, dirt field and, uh, there's a huge solar farm out there and probably not much else um, besides like a Air Force base and a bombing range. But I, I just don't understand why in the city of specifically Las Vegas, Enterprise, Rainbow, everything that's um, what you think of as the strip, I don't see why they don't legalize it there, especially when you're at, I've walked, been walking down the street before at midnight hanging out on the strip and it was like 90 degrees. So, I mean, you know, still on a bike at midnight, if you're cruising down the strip, it's not, you know, there's a lot of traffic too on the weekends for sure. And holiday weekends. Um, I mean, you can barely, it takes you an hour to drive down the strip. It's like as bad as LA traffic. So yeah, I don't see why they don't legalize it just within the city, you know, it'd be pretty smart. But yeah, it makes about as much sense uh, out in the rural parts of of Nevada as it does anywhere else. So probably not that um, not that much of a necessity. The other thing is, yeah, you know, you're doing eighty. People are blowing by you uh, twenty miles an hour faster than you're going. So at least a hundred. Yep, that happens here too. Um, people don't always split responsibly, and for some reason, motorcycles. Uh, don't seem to be able to drive under 80 here if they don't have to. So uh, I mostly see responsible lane splitting in heavy, heavy ass traffic conditions. A lot of times, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure if it's only a California law or if it's federal law that motorcyclists can ride in the carpool lane. But if you look at the space that you have between, you know, the carpool lane and the, I guess what would be the number two lane is that you know, even I've ridden on the lines and on the bumps sometimes, and that's a little bit sketchy, but there's generally a lot of space there. So it's almost like having your own motorcycle lane. And a lot of times you can ride in between the double yellows that make the, uh, that separate the carpool lane from the number two lane. So yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't really see people, you know, when there's a guy going a hundred, he's going a hundred and there's not traffic. He's not lane sharing. It's just, he's in the fast lane passing everybody. So, I mean, you know, I do, once traffic does start to appear, yeah, they weave in in and out of it and quote unquote lane share at very high speeds. And people have, uh, when I've been lane, lane sharing, I've had people go around me because I was going too slow for them. Cause I generally don't go over I don't know. I think probably 20 or 30 is the fastest I've gone in between cars because then it does get pretty sketchy and all all you realize, you know, it just does take one person deciding to change a lane. I actually saw some video and I'm sure there's hundreds of videos on YouTube of cars changing lanes and the last one I just saw was a guy um riding behind a girl on a sportster 
and a car changed lane right into her, and it shouldn't have. You're not supposed to go over the double yellows to get from the number two lane into the carpool lane, which is the number one lane, but the car did. It crossed over the double yellows illegally, and that's another story. If it were a car, they would have hit the car too. So, I mean, just being on the road is more dangerous than probably any other thing. We just... We take it for granted um, that it's like a necessity nowadays, but it's probably one of the most deadly things we do every day that we don't realize. All right, I'd like to talk a little bit about driving around here in this part of town where I live. So I'm uh, about to tell you, I guess, whereabouts I live in L.A. I live near a racetrack, as a matter of fact. Um, not a car racetrack, although I do live near a car racetrack as well. And the racetrack that I live next to is Santa Anita, and it's a horse racetrack. And I just wanted to, uh, I've been noticing something lately. And, you know, I was at the grocery store the other day, riding my bike around, uh, getting my kids uh, today from school in my car. And like every single day for the past, like, I don't know, eight days or so, I've seen freaking Ferraris and Lambos around here. And I see them all the time. Up, I live, ironically enough, I live between some very rich neighborhoods. And um, yet I'm like Beethoven. I'll maybe be rich uh, posthumously, but right now <laughs> broke as a joke. Can't even afford to pay attention. So yeah, so it's just kind of funny living around here and, and there's, I'm going to just already not even talk about Beamers and Mercedes because it seems like they're giving those things out for free. There's so many around here. I don't even get it. Like that's just what you drive. And when you see a Toyota or a, uh, Honda or something, it's like, Oh, you must, uh, I know exactly where you live. You live in the only apartments in this town and, uh, or you live in the next city over. So yeah, it's just like right around where I live. Um, Nothing but Mercedes and BMW as if they were free. And then uh, the occasional Maserati, Lambo, and and Ferrari cruising through and Dodge Viper and all this crap. So, yeah, I don't know what it is about these cars, but I've been seeing them lately. Just a slew of them pop up, pop up. And I saw a really beautiful dark red Lambo or uh, Ferrari today. And it had some trick ass, you know, it was really beautiful, to be honest. And uh, I just thought, what poor schmucks those stock versus square guys are that they live out in Utah. They, they, I know they live, I'm pretty sure they said they live near the, what used to be Miller Motorsports. I believe it's the Utah Motorsports Campus now or something like that, or U- Utah Motorsports Complex. And if they lived around here, it would just be so cool for them because there's all sorts of stuff around here. And I have seen on the rise again also the, um, what's it called? It's like the... Fast and Furious body kits and stuff. There was a dude, um, I live n- not right down the street anymore, but pretty close to Irwindale Speedway. And they have drift nights there and stuff. And I've seen some kids that have probably missed the wall a couple times on drift practice night because uh, he was cruising around in his S2000 gigantic wing on the back and the front bumper let's just say had some um racing tape we'll call it on the front the racing tape that's uh, silver and can fix anything if you're macgyver so yeah you see a lot of interesting stuff but the, i don't know what the thing is with all the lambos and ferraris that have been popping up lately i you know i've seen a lot of ferraris actually there's a dealership in pasadena that i used to drive by all the time and i used to live in pasadena 
And I don't know, you, you just see them. Um, I've always lived near these really rich neighborhoods. So I've always seen them cruising around. But just the influx of them lately where I am, and I don't know if it's because I live next to a horse racing track. And the thing is, is that, you know, horse owners and jockeys and all those people, um, there's just money flying around. And when I used to live in San Diego, if you go up to the racetrack up there, which is Del Mar, uh, same sort of thing, you know, pretty ritzy part of town. So needless to say, where I live is, uh, next door to me is pretty ritzy. Um, I live basically near the border of Arcadia, which is where Santa Anita is. And it's a pretty fancy part of town. And um, I don't know if that's why I'm seeing all these Lamborghinis and stuff. Um, racing season's almost year-round there. It cuts out for a couple months in the summer while while it's happening down at Del Mar, and then it comes back, you know, for the rest of the year. But I never went to Hollywood Downs, or no, Hollywood Raceway Park, whatever the heck it was, down in like West LA, there was a horse uh, track down there, which is where they're tearing up to make like a sports place now for like the Rams and the Raiders or whatnot. But I don't know what it was like down there. Cause it was kind of like the hood down there a little bit compared to over here. And, um, so I don't know if there was like a bunch of fancy cars driving around down there, but I don't, I just don't get it. So if I can, I'm going to start taking pictures of the random Lambos and Ferraris and all that crap that's driving around here. And I don't I don't know why I'm seeing more of them, but uh, there's just like this huge influx of these like high-end sports cars. Another thing I wanted to mention about Arcadia is the city is one of the best cities to ride around if you are looking to improve your rider skills. And uh, there's several ways that they do this. And let me tell you about it. So um, back, a little history lesson. Back in 1875, a guy named... Uh, Elias Baldwin, I believe, uh, went by Lucky Baldwin. He uh, purchased Rancho Santa Anita in 1875. It was like an 8,000 uh, acre ranch. He, you know, raised cattle and cows, or cattle, um, cows, bovines, and other things with horns on them. And he also raised hogs and whatnot. And he also, in the 1880s, went to India and brought back some peafowl. And the thing is, is they are a status, a symbol, you know, of rich status, I guess. And, um, but they were also really good as far as like, uh, warning if there was a predator around, cause they do this yelp that sounds like a, somebody screaming help, you know, if you've ever heard a, a peafowl scream. So we've got these beautiful peacocks and peahens and in Arcadia, I'm not, I don't know what the penalty is, but I know that if you hit one with your car or kill one and you're a resident, you are fined a pretty hefty fine. So, um, when, when you move into Arcadia, whether you rent or buy, you have to sign as part of like a city ordinance, uh, an agreement that you will not harm the peafowl that are there. And they basically roam all around. And where Baldwin used to live, there's a huge arboretum now. It's really awesome, actually. Nothing, this is like totally unmotorcycle related, but it is a piece of history that's really cool to see. And this arboretum is basically part of his old property. So it's got like the old um, house and the old fire uh, wagon, like the old fire department. And it's got some older buildings on it. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's really a beautiful estate actually. And the thing is the roads within it, the little walking paths, I wish 
you could ride a motorcycle in there. I have said it uh, to my friends before that it, it would just be one of the coolest things that they let you go in there for and just do like a little road race around there because the paths literally wind around these um, different parts of this like estate that, you know, it's, it's pretty sprawling. So I don't know. It's, it's super cool, but, uh, they don't let you ride motorcycles in there, but they do let peacocks and peahens in there. So when you're cruising around, you may see one and they're, I think they're a little territorial, but my point being when I was riding through Arcadia the other day, uh, peafowl everywhere and this one peacock starts crossing the road and yeah, it keeps you on your toes. Like you, you learned, um, to swerve really quickly or you're going to get a pretty hefty ticket and, uh, who wants to crash on a freaking bird? You know, they're, they're not as small. I mean, they're huge. They're like a huge goose. They're like pretty big. I'm sure you know what a peacock looks like, but, um, until you get next to one, you kind of don't realize how big they are. They're much bigger than a goose or a swan, actually, depending. You know, they stand pretty tall. And their tails are quite long when they're... They, they don't usually walk with them fanned out. They usually drag them behind them. And so, you know, tail from head to tail, they're probably like six to seven feet long, depending. So it's not just like a bird running across the street. It's like, you know, a bird dragging a bag of feathers behind it. So anyway... Yeah, really keeps you on your toes. So uh, I was just thinking that as I was cruising through there, A, watch out for Lambos, and B, watch out for peafowl because they just own the streets and you're not allowed to do anything about it but just stop and wait for them to cross at their leisure. And peafowl, they know they know their status symbol. They walk super slow and they look around like you're an asshole when really they're the asshole. All right, next on our list. So a lot of people have been mentioning the passing of Michael Sizz this last week. I've heard it on several different shows. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that he passed away on the 7th. And a lot of the press reported that, but it has only been coming out on talk shows and podcasts as of late. So I don't know if uh, it took a little while to catch up. But the most interesting take on Sizz that I heard came from Liza at the Recycled Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California, on the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. You can have to check that out. And before I get in her into her conspiracy theory, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about Sizz. Now, recently, his E1PC uh, electric motorcycle was the first motorcycle to break the 100-mile-an-hour average lap time uh, around the Isle of Man. And I think the electrics only do one lap. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible. And that's an average lap time. That's not fastest speed. So, I mean, they're getting well up into, uh, you know, some of the ranges of like the 600s, you know, that um, he won four podiums there. Or actually, I think he won four titles there uh, between like the first four years that he entered or something like that with that particular bike. Well, before that, he had another bike. He produced the C1, and it was going to be a MotoGP bike. And like right before, uh, I believe it was, geez, months before that thing was set uh, due to debut at the, at, you know, in a MotoGP, they changed the class. So I'm not 100% sure if it was a leader bike or if it was an 800cc and they changed it up to the leader bikes. But this thing was basically like a revolutionary breakthrough. The whole motor was only six and a half inches wide, which is about the width of the rear tire on a MotoGP bike. 
and it had it was like longitudinal and most of them are are inline transverse so that's another thing if you remember me mentioning a few weeks ago um Honda had done something basically for has they had flipped the crank around in the Hondas so that he was going faster and he's won a lot of races and with you know, makes turning the bike easier because it was uh, reducing the gyroscopic motion. And in the other ways, the bike was pushing and now they reverse the crank and it's like makes it easier to turn in. So here comes this guy, Sizz, and when he's building his bike, he takes all that stuff into consideration and he engineers it a specific way, basically. Any gyroscopic motion and any rotational like uh, imbalance was basically engineered out of it because of the way that it sat. And like I said, this thing literally was only six and a half inches wide. It had a special DCT, which like now on the Hondas is um, basically a package. The dual clutch technology is an, it's automatic package on there, but on his, it was like a uh, activated a slipper clutch and the uh, regular clutch. So it it almost looked like um, two different drive shafts, to be honest, uh, when you look at a diagram of the motor. But I mean, his front fork, he didn't just build the spike. He didn't just build a race bike. He literally built this thing from new concepts. You know what I mean? And if you look at the front end, he made an adjustable insert so that you could keep the steering head angle the same, but adjust the trail and, and uh, literally adjust the rake angle basically at the axle instead of up at the you know up at the um, tr- the triple trees, and came out with like a mono fork. Um, well, it was called the six X coaxial monoshock front suspension, and it basically took all the twist and turn out of standard forks and put it into a monoshock. And if you've seen, there's mountain bikes with monoshocks. I mean, we have single-sided rear swing arms already, so it's not, it's not crazy new, but it hasn't been really implemented in a viable way. And just looking at this one bike that had all of it in it, pretty amazing if you think about it. Now, you know, that and the fact that he developed this electronic uh, or electric motorcycle that blew away the lap record at the Isle of Man and then got four podiums or four titles. Let's jump into Liza's conspiracy theory. They pointed out that he and John Britton, both motorcycle pioneers, um, were both died of cancer. And John Britton was a guy from New Zealand. He was a mechanical engineer he, I actually saw a documentary on him. He was just like this crazy genius. He was dyslexic. He had to have, um, like, when he took tests, he had to have some questions read to him because, like like me, I, I don't know if I'm dyslexic, but I have to seize things sometimes in order for them to make sense. And I see things from, like, inside out. You know what I mean? I, I, I probably am dyslexic, but... Um, I'm no genius like this guy was. So he, he, I saw a documentary where he had built his entire house out of all recycled materials and you would never have known. He went to night school. He got a mechanical engineering degree and then went to work for, <clears throat> pardon me, ICI, which was a huge manufacturer in Britain at the time. And they made everything from like polymers to like electrical components and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> so this guy was just like a mechanical genius. He, was, you know, 
like I said, an engineering genius built his house from scratch out of re- all recycled materials. And Siz as well. Siz was a architect by trade and did a motorcycle company on the side for, uh, you know, just from his passion for writing and, and engineering. So he was well funded. He, he, I think he was similar to Buell probably where he took a lot of money from his one company and put it all toward developing racing and race bikes. And they both died of cancer, which Liza pointed out is really odd and Siz died at 40 I believe he was 40 no Siz was 51 I believe and um Britain was just uh 45 so I mean pretty young pretty young and Siz had this really weird rare form of cancer and Britain died of inoperable skin cancer which is I'm guessing pretty rare to get uh, skin cancer related illness that's not operable. You know, usually they can they can remove a, a melanoma or something, but to get something that you can't operate on that had to be pretty hardcore and permeated throughout his body. So, yeah, both of them died very young, a very big threat to the establishment of motorcycle industry. And so Liza had this neat little conspiracy theory, you know, what the hell is happening to these guys? And it made me think about Buell and all the crap people have thrown at Buell, um, and the fact that he keeps going out of business, maybe he's doing that to stay alive. Maybe there's a reason Eric Buell at 50, whatever he is now, has not developed cancer. And maybe it's because he knows when he can push and when he can't. He knows that he's always been a racer building bikes. He's never been a bike builder, you know, going racing. He's always just been a racer. He the whole reason he wanted to build Buell was to make a competitive American sport bike. And really the company has just tanked every, every time it's taken off because he's a racer. He wants to go, he racing costs money. That's where you, uh, that's where you spend money and selling bikes is where you make the money. So if you're not doing one, you're doing the other, right? So these guys, uh, just Britain and Sis, these guys that were self-funded, you know, Buell has never been, able to self-fund and that may be the the whole reason why he's still alive playing in his blues band and kicking back brews up in uh, wisconsin so yeah i don't know that was it was a really interesting thing and it lends very well to some you know it's not uncommon for that stuff to happen here in los angeles uh plenty of people died uh, Los Angeles back at the turn of the century and well probably into the 40s and maybe even the 50s, I'm going to guess, was a oil, nothing but oil fields. If you look at old pictures of the basin, uh, the Los Angeles basin, there's just oil derricks everywhere. And I believe I've mentioned it before that there's tons of oil derricks still pumping out like uh, just north of here uh, before you get to the central coast. And heck, you can even drive down into Hollywood. There's still some pumping around here and there. There's some pumping down in Monterey Park. There's just all around. There's just weird little oil derricks here and there that are still pumping. And uh, so there's oil still here in L.A. And the rail company, uh, there is uh, where I live. You know, I was telling you earlier, uh, Arcadia, San Marino, even into Pasadena, there's huge medians in the road. And it's like a park in the middle of the street, basically. The roads are super wide here. They've got to be like 100 yards wide, and there's like a 
uh, yard median. And you're thinking, dude, this is bigger than medians on the freeway. Like, what's going on? And it's because the trolleys used to run. There used to be like these electric trains that ran back in the, you know, back in the 20s, I'm guessing, earlier than that, probably. It was very similar to the San Francisco streetcar line, only in the San Gabriel Valley. And what happened was the car companies, the big three, uh, did not like that. They didn't like Disney, uh, Walt Disney saying that he could build an electric monorail system all through L.A. And so when he built the monorail at Disneyland to prove that, you know, they made damn sure that it didn't really make it out into public transportation. And we're just now getting rails out here that just finished a gold line out to um, like Monrovia and whatever Duarte or something that's that's east. So, yeah, they I don't know. It's really interesting that people don't like electric uh, vehicles and they actually made the Pacific Rail Line or whoever the hell owned the trains. There was a guy named Thaddeus Lowe who was like a Civil War uh, geographer. No, Civil War. What did he do? He made maps, topographer. He was a scout for Lincoln, I guess, during the Civil War. And he made maps and all that stuff. Well, he he built this place called the White City up on a hill over in Pasadena. And there was a railway going up to it, the Rubio Canyon Railway, and it pulled passengers up these up the hill, this really steep canyon on these little rail trains. And there was a railway that went up to this place called the Swiss Chalet and up to the Cape of Good Hope and all the stuff that's way up on this hill that goes up to the Mountain Wilson Observatory, which is like a whole other story um, in, in and of itself. But needless to say, the the rail company that owns the modern railroad nowadays, uh, that, that was like totally destroyed by a fire and they bought the land and said nobody could ever make a railway north of, you know, that last line there at the bottom, which is roughly where the 210 is, the 210 freeway. And to this day, there isn't uh, any trains above that. We have the rail system that shares that right now, but they don't go further north than the 210 basically. And um, so, yeah, the stuff that people did way back at the turn of the century is still lingering. And a lot of it has to do with the oil industry. And it's not too far fetched to think that they could have, I don't know. I don't think they could have given these guys cancer. Uh, but you know, you never know. I mean, crazier stuff has happened. Sometimes, uh, the truth is stranger than fiction. So, uh, that's just one little, I, I thought that was super interesting that they pointed out that both of these guys that were like pioneers in the field, crazy engineers, actually getting stuff done and self-funded, uh, both die very young of cancer. Kind of mysterious, maybe just coincidental, but um, if you listen to the Two Enthusiasts podcast on Eric Buell where they tear him apart and just talk about how shitty his bikes are, maybe there's a reason he didn't want to get too too good. Uh, let's just put it that. Let's lie as a wink, wink. You know what I'm saying? We maybe shouldn't be talking about this where hundreds of people can hear. So, all right, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the Isle of Man TT. I know I mentioned that the Isle of Man starts in like three days. So let's talk about a little bit. 
I've heard some very interesting opinions regarding the Isle of Man TT. And before I get into those, uh, there's a couple of things that I thought was really interesting. Bruce Ancy, famous racer. He's raced there for you know many years, right alongside John McGinnis and the Dunlops and all that. Uh, he's going to race a Honda RC213VS um, by Paget Racing. Um, the thing is, is that it all started when somebody was talking to, uh, I think his name is George Paget. They said, hey, wouldn't it be great to hear an, a Honda RC just ripping down the straights here? And so he knew somebody that had purchased an RCV from, from his uh, dealerships, I guess. And the deal was struck and the bike was tested. Now, they had to strengthen it for the Isle of Man because, you know, already I'm, I'm going to guess that, you know, off the showroom, it's not uh, the same specs as a MotoGP bike. But even on a MotoGP bike, when we're talking about road racing in, in quotes versus, versus actual racing on public roads, road racing, um, we're talking about, you know, elevation changes. I, I wouldn't say road conditions, I would actually say obstacles, because these are things that the riders literally have to, um, you know, jump over, wheelie over, avoid. You're going over some bridges, you're going over, you know, possibly train tracks, depending on where you're racing. You know, the the conditions, the, the tarmac condition is much, much, much different than a controlled environment with lots of runoff and this and that. So, the stresses that they put on the bike are much greater than an actual uh, road circuit and a road race circuit, we'll call it. And so those are smooth and not a lot of bumps. There is, I believe, Caldwell Park where people get airborne on the bikes. But you know what? That's nothing compared to the many bridges and um, like culverts and stuff that's on the Isle of Man that you, you literally get airborne over. And even if you don't get airborne, you dip down and come up super fast. I've seen pictures of the bikes bottoming in corners. So you really have to have a beefed up suspension. So the hardest part Paget was saying was building this thing up, getting it buff for the aisle, because basically there's it's an RC2 13 VS. There's no like off the shelf parts for it. So everything was bespoke, you know, every single thing that they, they wanted to make stronger, make adjustments here, adjustments in there. There's no, there's no real adjustments unless it's built into the part that you have. So you have to make a new part with adjustments into it. So it seems like they've got it all sorted out. I mean, obviously they do because the, uh, race testing and all that stuff begins this mm, Saturday, this Saturday, I believe. Yeah. So interesting, very interesting. Another thing uh, that I heard is that the aisle increasingly, increasingly is getting more and more and more um, negative feedback. So some people really don't like it because they're arguing, you know, at least two people die there every year, at least. Um, and we're talking, you know, there's people that race sidecar. I remember the, the last really bad accident that I had heard where one guy died and one guy was really maimed was a, um, the sidecars, you know, the sidecars flying through there. And you can imagine, you know, a rig like that, the monkey, uh, got his legs severed or something like that. And the rider died. And so, um, but you know, every year last year, there was a couple, uh, really famous people that passed. So 
some are arguing that a lot of talented and upcoming racers who could have a promising career on short or closed circuit racing are getting killed trying to risk it all on this like outdated and dangerous race, basically. And wondering why is the Isle of Man viable? Why is it still important? Why is it viable? And, you know, it's totally unnecessary. And that was, that's, uh, I guess, the opinion of quite a few people. Well, here's the deal. In every form of road racing right now, there are people that cannot ink deals. We just saw Elena Myers lose her ride. Um, We've seen, you know, Ben Spees. What happened to Ben Spees? He went to MotoGP for, I don't even remember if it was more than one season, and he's asked out, you know what I mean? Nicky Hayden just dropped out. You know, he went to World Superbike. He was lucky to get a ride. Um, There's lots of riders in major league series, not to mention the guys that are in like the, you know, the, the Bush League, so to speak, the A, B, and C classes, not the premier classes. If you have premier class guys that are struggling for a ride, especially, you know, they're talking about it in MotoGP with people moving around, who's going to get, uh, what, um, you know, what ride at what team and could so-and-so be out of a ride? Well, we're talking MotoGP. So, I mean, just trickle down to the level where, you know, some of these kids and some of the guys that are riding, you know, especially like Guy Martin, he's a freaking truck mechanic. Cameron Donald's a plumber. Uh, these guys don't race professionally. They come to the aisle, they race. Um, they do it like a pretty much like a privateer, maybe factory backed because they get a little bit of support. But I mean, we're not talking like this is their career. So the people that are arguing that these talented people are risking it all when they could be racing on, you know, closed or short circuit racing don't understand that a lot of these guys aren't racers quote you know professionally they do uh, motorcycle related things maybe they're even dealers you know i think a lot of these guys work at dealerships or or you know work for motorcycle companies but uh that's to to bring home the bacon you know and racing is what they do because they love it so there's one reason that the isla man is still viable is because it's not about sponsorships it's not about uh, you know the things that uh, bringing a crowd, bringing tourism, you know, all this stuff. Like the Isle of was probably fine without all that stuff. Although the race is a huge part of the tourism. They have, um, races all throughout the summer, you know what I mean? And people vacation there, I guess, probably once in a while, but I mean, it's a huge part of the economy and it's otherwise pretty quiet. But the thing is, is that like, you know, people don't, go there to race because of the sponsorship and because it's a nice little getaway for a weekend. They go there because they love racing on a road. You know, it's like probably I can, I'm going to compare it to Mount Everest. There's no need to hike Mount Everest. It's been done. We know how tall it is. Um, we know it costs like $75,000 to hike it and it takes months because you can't just walk to the top of the hill. You have to like get acclimated to the altitude and it, that takes months for your body to do that. So, you know, why spend all that money and time to go do something that's been done before? Well, people want to do it. It's a challenge, you know, and uh, not very many people can say that they've done it. And it is, you know, one. it's, it's still one of the last 
things that we can do in this world that's, you know, still free and worth a damn to somebody enough to do it, you know, to risk their life to do it. And people die on Everest all the time, but we're not saying quit climbing Mount Everest. So that's my second argument for the Isle of Man is that, uh, you know, it's not, it's about the passion to do it. And the fact that it's more prestige than anything. I mean, if you're not doing it for money and you're not doing it for sponsorship, you're obviously spending more money over there than you are making. Um, It's the prestige of the thing. And it's one of the oldest road racing events in the world. And it'd be kind of sad to see it go by just because some people in this generation uh, deem that it's a little too dangerous. So I don't know. Don't race if you don't. You know, if you don't want to uh, see people get killed or if you don't want to see people go fast and, and have fun and do what they love, then don't go over there and watch it. So that's uh, my take on the Isle of Man. The other thing I wanted to mention about it kind of coincides with Pike's Peak, and that is regarding Bramo. Well, not Bramo, Victory. So let's talk about that next. All right, all right. Well, Pikes Peak is the American event that runs after the Isle of Man and between the Manx TT, I believe. And Pikes Peak could be described, I guess, as America's um, Isle of Man or America's TT because it is basically the only road race run on, um, you know, a full actual road course that we do in America that's still legal. The thing is, it's, it's not quite half. It's not really a third of the Alaman. It's it's a little over 12 miles, but, you know, it is, it's a treacherous course. It's, it's extremely exciting to watch. And a quick side note, it, it's one of the first things I mentioned last year when I very first started my show up, which makes me feel like my show is going to be hitting a year soon, even though I know it's not, not for quite a few months, but it is one of the things that happened that I was really excited about then, and I'm excited to be talking about it again now, Uh, not only because it makes me feel like I'm coming around full circle, but because of the things that have developed. And I got to see right up close the Project 156 bike. Um, I fondled it. I touched Don Kane's race leathers, and I was just super, super excited that Victory was heading in a direction like this um, to do a Project 156. It's really cool just to see Polaris Industries take their uh, brand that is known for cruisers and do something daring like this and make like a, a naked sport bike deal. A really brutal looking naked sport bike too. It looks awesome. So I hope, you know, I'm not 100% sure they're going to go into the sport bike market, having seen Buell, uh, do what he did and, and all that, but it would be pretty awesome. I do love the way the bike looks and Don Kinney, a uh, big, big shout out to Don Kinney for just taking, taking that thing in uncharted territory. Well, this year, uh, Jeremy toy, who, you know, he's not a moto journalist, so you may not hear his name thrown around a bunch, but he won 2014 on his ZX 10 and, yeah, so he's got some speed under his belt, that's for sure. And he's going to be do- piloting the 156 while Don Kinney takes the Victory Impulse uh, prototype electric racer. I forget exactly. It's got a long name, but that thing 
uh, got a podium at Isle of Man, I believe, and they developed it even further. So he's going to be taking that up uh, to Pikes Peak this year while Jeremy takes up the 156, which has also undergone for the development. So we're going to see these two amazing bikes from Victory, one in the electric field and one in the ice field. So it'll just be awesome to see uh, just how cool is it to see a company like Victory who, you know, bringing us, um, you know, Polaris, bringing us like the Scout 60 and all the hooligan racing, Victory doing, you know, making some pretty crazy cruisers and their Octane and all this new stuff and now doing these two awesome, awesome one-off race bikes. I just think it's really, really upping the bar for companies like Harley to get their ass in gear. You know, what, what happened to the Livewire? We saw that and I didn't personally see the movie, but I know Scarlett Johansson had her ass cheeks wrapped around one in this Marvel comic movie that came out. And so I don't know what they're going to be doing with that, but Victory's on it, man. They're like doing cruisers and now race bikes and e-bikes. So Harley really needs to get their asses in gear. And I am just can't wait to see Don Kinney. I believe they start testing on June 11th and 12th or something like that. So I can't wait to see what they do on the Hill this year. And Pikes Peak is just something I'm looking forward to just as much as the Isle of Man. Maybe one of these years I will be able to make it. The interesting thing is if you go there, it says the 94th running, but the 100th anniversary this year. So this year is a very special year, 100th anniversary of Pikes Peak. And I'm assuming they stopped during the war years. There's a six-year gap there. So um, yeah, I'm assuming that they did not run probably during World War II and maybe another, you know, who knows, um, over the six years out of a hundred is not too bad to not have run it. So yeah, it's going to be a really exciting, um, centennial event. <clears throat> if you look at the page, I believe, I don't remember the exact number. It says like 32, uh, racers from international teams, but then over a hundred races. So I think they're, it's similar to the Isle of Man where, they're talking about 32 racers in like the premier classes and it's extremely expensive to race there. I read one guy's review of why he wasn't going to be racing Isle of Man anymore. And it's, or I'm, I'm sorry, I keep saying that Pike's peak. Why he's not going to race Pike's peak is because the entry free has went up to like, I don't know. I want to say something like $8,000 from like 1500 or something like that. And it's just, it's hurting, you know, it's bringing, uh, it's weeding out smaller competition, I guess. And I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's for the premier group. Um, or if that was just like a general, it, he wasn't super clear. Once I found out that there was more, more than just one group, sort of like MotoGP has run, uh, it, it made sense. So I don't know exactly what class he used to run in, but maybe he's mad that he's running in a lower class and he wanted to run in the premier class. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but Looking at their website, it's a little confusing because at first it says there's only like 32 competitors, and then it says over 100 competitors, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not, a, I'm not 100% sure um, how, that was, how their wording reflects how the event's going to run. But I do know that they have vintage classes and stuff, so they must mean you know, 32 premier class racers from all over the world in all sorts of motorsport disciplines or whatnot. So anyways, Pikes Peak, baby. The only place you're going to see him race a vintage flat track bike plus a diesel that's putting out like 1,800 horsepower with huge, uh, you know, aerodynamic wings on it up a mountain as fast as it can go. So, all right. 
Uh, last thing I'd like to talk about is the end of the world. That's right. I believe our planet is spinning faster and faster, making the days shorter and shorter. That makes me wonder, what about endurance races? Will they still be uh, judged by 24 hours or will they go by days? In which case, a day-long endurance race may only be three hours long. Uh, Of course, this isn't going to happen for millions of years, but, uh, you know, you got to think about future generations. It's the reason why some stuff's in trouble now. All kidding aside, I was thinking about, you know, Riding with Rita's is coming out and all, you know, Walking Dead and all that stuff. And I watched Mad Max with my wife and was talking to her about it and this and that. And I started to think about, you know, real life things like the guy, I forget his name, some weird French name, the guy that got stuck in the desert. You know, maybe he didn't get stuck, but he made a motorcycle out of Citroen, all this stuff. Uh, and I recently, over the weekend, uh, I went on a ride with my daughter on her little bike through, you know, a little urban trail here. And frankly, it looked like The Walking Dead. Some of the stuff we were going through just looked like a crazy abandoned, you know, overgrown trail. And I thought, you know what? All these shows, especially The Walking Dead, where they have cars. Um, and I'm thinking of Mad Max where they specifically use like V8s and blown V8s and stuff and motorcycles and whatnot, huge RVs, you know, Walking Dead. It seems to me after after going on this bike ride with my kid that the, the vehicle of the future is, and zombie apocalypse for sure is going to be the bicycle, not, not necessarily the RV or the uh, motorcycle. And partially because as long as you have calories in your body, you've got gas. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've mangled, uh, you know, I'm a mountain bike enthusiast and I've mangled some chain rings and stuff before, but in a pinch, like I would have got a rock and nailed a uh, hammer that fucker back straight. So, um, you know, it's nothing that can't be fixed. Whereas if you run out of gas or, you know, you spin a bearing or bend a rod in a, in a combustion engine, be it car, fire truck, motorcycle, whatever you have, you know, going off the walking dead's, uh, vehicles here, you're in trouble. So, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with those and there's nothing wrong with uh, using that to transport goods that you obviously would not be able to transport on a bike. But to be honest, like I think a bicycle, uh, very capable. If you've seen these guys on bicycles doing the same sort of stuff that trials motorcycle riders do, you you realize they'd be good for traversing all sorts of terrain. Even if you weren't that good, I mean, it's still better than walking a little faster than walking, getting away from zombies, minimal effort. You know, you don't have to, um, you know, you can coast basically is what I'm getting at. You know, you don't have to constantly walk you're moving your legs burning calories at least on a bike whether it's downhill or flat you could walk and if you're going uphill um you know bikes aren't that hard to push uphill you're already walking uphill there maybe a good bike is you know 30 pounds let's say um and so it's just like pushing 30 pounds uphill so it's not anything heavier than would be to carry a 30 pound backpack full of supplies. So yeah, bicycles. And then I was thinking, uh, I don't know why I was thinking, but Tom Waits in the movie mystery men, 
you know, he's the crazy like inventor guy. And I was thinking if you were, you know, you could do that with bicycles. You could make all sorts of cool bicycles and everyone would be coming to you if you were like a bike smith because you'd be able to tune a wheel and, you know, true it and fix a chain and all this crap, right? And it's like the literally the easiest, most reliable thing in a zombie apocalypse that would, uh, or worldwide epidemic, you name it, that would get you out of trouble. Which makes me think a lot of people already use, uh, in, in lots of third world countries, lots of people use bicycles for that same thing. They also use motorcycles and scooters, but then again, you know, you have the problem of bad gas. A lot of times you'll hear people driving through the deserts of Africa and stuff and you'll buy gas from somebody selling it in a mason jar. And you're like, dude, do I pick this like brown sludgy gas or do I pick this kind of greenish gas that at least looks like liquid? Um, you never know what you're going to get. So, you know, that's the thing with gas versus bicycles is that uh, as much as I love motorcycles, I think the quietest, you know, I'm thinking of zombie or, you know, sneaking around, not necessarily zombie shit, but just sneaking around, um, you know, bikes are great for scouting. And I think they actually use mountain bikes in the Marines for reconnaissance and stuff. Um, e-bikes too. That would also be, uh, ironically people diss on the range, but, um, solar chargers. I saw plenty of solar chargers when I was at Willow Springs. People threw them out there in the sun, charging up their uh, motorhome rigs and whatnot, and all sorts of cool stuff uh, being used out there since it was so sunny. Well, if you had an e-bike, same sort of thing. You may only get 50 miles, but that's further than you'd get walking in a day. And uh, recharge it with the solar panel real fast and zero to no maintenance, no oil, you know, all, all the great things that they say about, uh, e-bikes where you just adjust the brakes and tires, basically adjust brakes, change tires. It's like the only maintenance you have to do. So I don't know. I was just, I don't know what made me think about riding with Redis. Maybe I saw an ad for it or something like that, but it made me think of in the end of the world situation, whether it's, a zombie apocalypse or intruding army you know i could imagine being in afghanistan and just depending on a bicycle to get around when you know the taliban and isis and all those guys are coming through and you need to get from here to there real fast just throw a rucksack on a bicycle and get the hell out of dodge you know what i mean and if the marines are using them then it's good enough for me so two wheels is two wheels and uh on that note, send me some catchphrases if you could. I've got some good ones. Um, I need to listen to one right now. I have them re- recorded from months ago that I haven't even barely skimmed the surface of. So I'm going to do that real fast while you think of when to send me. And in the meantime, you can also reach us at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't done so yet, send us an email about anything. Would you like to be on the show? Do you have something interesting you'd like to hear about? Would you want me to blab about something more than, you know, stuff you heard today on the show? You know, do you want to hear me dodging peacocks or do you want to hear something interesting that you want to hear about? Let me know. Um, Also, the shows that you love, reach out to them. I did it to a couple. I need to do it to all the ones I mentioned, which is, you know, Cleveland Motorcycle Podcast, Motorcycles and Misfits, um... I did, I did leave them a review on iTunes. 
And uh, real quickly, Cleveland, I just got a, a newsletter from Biltwell that there's going to be a fuel pre-party in Cleveland uh, with live music by Moonbow and DJ Clint. And it's happening at Mahal's 20 Lanes at 13200 Madison Avenue, Lakewood, Ohio. So go check that out if you want to do some bowling and motorcycling stuff. And then give the Cleveland dudes a shout out while you're there. And Stock Us for Squares, obviously. Um, I don't know. I listen to so many, so many that uh, I can't even tell you. I just waste my days listening to other podcasts. Hey, as promised, while I got you on the line here, let me talk to you real fast about Wisconsin International Raceway Top 10 Drag Bikes. You heard me. I, I, I was reading their page the other day, and I just wanted to talk about the sense of community that these people have. Um, one of the racers, I believe his name is Cliff Nafe, maybe. I forget. I'm not looking at the page right now. But he was down a uh, motor. Pistons. I forget exactly what it was. He, was. he was down a couple parts, okay? Now, these guys are rallying together to pitch in everybody uh, 20 bucks, you know, and that's all it takes. A hundred people give you twenty bucks. Fifty people give you twenty bucks. You know, it, it adds up to enough money for you to, uh, you know, nothing's cheap these days. Everybody's, you know, working for the weekend and whatnot, and trying to make a living. All those '80s songs that uh, now are making sense as an adult. And you know what? These guys are pulling together to do it to uh, as a community, as a, as sort of like a, a little team, uh, pulling together to get some funds to help out a fellow racer. And that is what I am so excited about. That's what it's all about to me. Is uh, when you go to the races and you're not, you know, just for yourself. You're you're happy that your competition's out. You know, so that you can win. Blah blah blah. No, no. If you're a true competitor, you want to see other people come up and uh, be able to compete with them. You want to see other people flourish. You want to see people maybe even take over your spot. I mean, it's no fun racing if you win all the time. It's no fun doing anything if you win all the time, right? Unless it's a a war, I guess. But the point I'm trying to make is that these people band together to help somebody that's like not even maybe necessarily a relative or a super close friend, just somebody in the community to get some parts together for, you know, help a brother out. So uh, it's just, it's so awesome up there and hearing these people talk. One of them though, there's one talker, like this whirling dervish of a human that, uh, has anybody know who this Missy Keo chick is? Um, she seems like the type of chick, like Michelle was pretty rock and roll. I mean, you know, we talked about going straight to pants shitting. Well, this Missy Keo chick seems like that if you took her sweatshirt, no, I took her t-shirt, just wringed out some of the sweat into a jar, I could probably sell it down here on 10th Street to the crackheads that need like a little pick-me-up. She's just like, you know, seems like she's kind of uh, just like this crazy um, tornado of, of a person that's that's always on and always rock and roll 100% volume up to 11 sort of person. So yeah, just hearing her weigh in on some of the uh, WIR stuff is pretty amazing. Sing, Simon, you owe me three dollars. 
Goodness gracious, I forgot to turn the fans off on uh, my computer, and it's really picking up when I have it sitting on the same table as the microphone. If you ever get into podcasting, you will start to take into consideration all these weird things that you never did before, such as, am I sitting in a room that's like a full of flat surface, you know, is it just a big room full of walls because I'm going to get massive amounts of reverb? Uh, should I, where should I talk into a microphone so that I don't breathe on it all the time? And, uh, obviously I have a problem with drinking enough water because if you hear this, you know, I'm always gulping down my spit. Ew, I love the visuals of you gulping down your spit. It's so awesome. Well, thanks. So, hey, one last thing I wanted to mention before I wrap up this week's show. Um, and Oh, no. JP Cycles won't ship the exhaust to California because carb. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. I just got an email from uh, JP Cycles that won't ship some Harley exhausts to California because carb. California Air Resources Board, baby. Hey, all you Wisconsin racers, while I'm talking about this, um, that EPA thing about them, you know, coming after competition vehicles, it's, you know, bit the dust and they retracted it. However, street vehicles, I'm sure, are not in that clause. So you better check it out and make sure that if you ride your motorcycle or your car on the street and race it on the weekends, I'm pretty sure that it's going to um, still affect you. The fact that you won't be able to run an aftermarket exhaust on a street car, however, they're not going after competition cars. I could be wrong about that. We'll have to stay tuned. They're supposed to release their, you know, authoring and, and reformation um, next month, I believe. Also, something else I wanted to say about the Santa Anita. You know, I had talked about, you know, I live next to Santa Anita Racetrack, and it's a horse racetrack. However, if you do look at a Google uh, aerial shot, you will see in the parking lot marked off race courses. And that's because if you've ever watched the show Roadkill, you will have seen that they did uh, a little road course there at the Santa Anita Mall uh slash racetrack parking lot. It's a huge, vast parking lot. Pretty flat, really nice, lots of runoff. So a lot of times there's Porsche clubs that run there. There's BMW clubs that run there. Um, there was a tire test there not too long ago where they ran basically a road course for you to test out, I don't know, Michelin or Dunlop or something like that. And they had like a bunch of Nissan uh, 350Zs out there or the 370, whatever the fuck it's up to now. And, you know, a lot of car manufacturers or tire manufacturers will come and they have time attack, you know, stuff there that you can that you can try out and test out their vehicle, test out their tire. Um, like I said, Freiburger, the roadkill guys, um, they filmed a lot of their stuff there for quite a while. I haven't seen them there in a little bit. Uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was filmed there, um, right there in the parking lot next to the mall. Whoops. And a lot of stuff goes there. I don't know if any clubs autocross there, but you can see three distinct tracks laid out. It would be really fun to get like a little motorcycle course set up there. However, I've never seen a motorcycle club racing there. It's always been car clubs. And they do all sorts of cool stuff. The county uh, once a year, or the city, I guess, does like a 
truck day where they haul out these huge military trucks and like fire trucks, tow trucks. Fucking Wiener Mobile was there last year. Uh, me and my kids went inside that baby and got ourselves a, a little Wiener whistle. So nothing like your kid blowing in a fucking hot dog to make a sound. It is the funniest thing ever. But anyways, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to check it out and see. You know, you have Santa Anita, a horse track, which ironically could be like a mile flat track, yet they'd never race motorcycles there. And then in the parking lot, uh, that's where you do all the racing. So ironically enough, you're racing in the parking lot instead of at the venue. Uh, Zoom out a little bit and go to the north and you will see the white city that I was talking about. It's called the Mount Low. Let me see what they call it nowadays. The Mount Low uh, Railway Marker or something like that. And you will see the where the glorious uh, white city once stood before Pasadena was a town when you used to go to Pasadena to get away from the city of L.A. And then scroll a little further east and down and you will see Irwindale Speedway, which used to be, I think, Toyota Speedway or something like that. And you'll see the little drift course they have in there. And it's uh, also where they race the Enduros. They also do skid plate racing. If you're ever in the area or if you come out to California and you want to hang out and go do something fun... Um, email the show. We'll go there and we'll check it out. They have a skid plate racing, which is where basically like the Misfits chariot racing. If you listen to the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, they weld, you know, brake rotors onto the bottom of milk crates and drag each other around parking lots. Well, the skid plate racing, uh, right down the street from Irwindale Speedway is a junkyard. And what they'll do is they get cars from the junkyard. The junkyard is actually like a huge sponsor of the uh, raceway. So you go in there, you get like a $200 car. You basically put the e-brake on and weld plates to the rear um, wheels. And of course, they have to be front-wheel drive cars to do this. And then you drive around the, the track. And it's so funny watching these guys spin out because you literally have no control over the rear end. You know what I mean? And it takes a lot of skill to get that thing, um, going in a straight line and be able to to do a turn without the rear end just whipping around. So it's super fun watching those skid plate races, demolition derbies and and all that stuff. So one of these days I'm going to go out to the drift drift nights. I've never been, um, I went to the drag strip once, uh, and watched the, watched the drag racing while they were doing, um, you know, it's all on the same lot. So the drag strip is right east of the uh, the stadium where they do the the drifting. And dude, it looked like a fucking explosion. You couldn't even see anything. There was so much tire smoke, and it was stinky. And my kids were like, "What's going on, Dad?" You know, like, "Is the building on fire next door?" No, kids, uh, it's drifters. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Give me a call if you're, uh, or, you know, yeah, call me call me right up uh, if you're going to be out this way. Also, email me, because that's how you can really get in contact. Uh, email the show. And uh, one last thing before I go. Facebook is really pissing me off. It hasn't been showing me uh, the new listeners and subscribers to the page. So what I thought I'd do in a sort of tribute, you know, a tribute of the people, the tribute of the plebs, I would uh, stick a picture of myself up there on the page saying, hey, Facebook, I'll show you who I am if you show me who they are. Uh, I guess it would have just been easier to put in a help desk ticket and save you the horror of having to look at my greasy do from, (laughs) I don't know, 10 years ago. And yeah, it didn't work. And I read up on it and, uh, Yeah, Facebook doesn't do that sort of stuff. So I'll be taking that picture down as it's not going to warrant any results. But uh, view it while you can. It'll probably be up until Friday or Saturday. So, yep. 
basically get your fill, get your, uh, you know, hopefully you don't scratch out your eyes because of the horror that is my ugly mug. And you can see why I do a podcast instead of a video cast or try to host some sort of uh, video show. So at any rate, you know, you guys take it easy. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Happy Memorial Day to all the vets out there. Truly, truly, truly. Uh, Everybody here that helps with the show, we're sending out our love and, uh, you know, support our troops. And I hope every everybody that's listening and hears my voice right now has a safe and happy Memorial Day weekend. And hug a vet, kiss a vet, um, maybe give a vet a blowjob, you know, wouldn't hurt. I don't care if you're a dude. These guys risk their lives every day. So with that, we're out. It's summertime. Time for that road trip. Lube your cheeks and ride for weeks. Peace. Creative Writing would like to say sorry to the following people. Anyone who saw my disgusting face on Facebook. We'd like to say sorry to Chris Singsheim and Rochelle Mankiewicz. We loved your movie review. Motorcycles and Misfits, we loved your review of the movie as well. And uh, if you're a listener, don't go see that movie. We'd like to say thank you to all the podcasts we mentioned. Motorcycles and Misfits, Cleveland Moto, Stock is for Squares. I, I think I left out some others, so we're not going to apologize to any more. Sorry to Sizz, Michael Sizz, and John Britton. Both geniuses, both dead. Sorry to Guy Martin, Bruce Ancy, all of the Dunlops. Sorry to the Isle of Man. Sorry to Pikes Peak and the whole state of Colorado. Sorry to Nevada while we're apologizing to states. Now let's move to cities. Sorry to Arcadia, Monrovia, Pasadena, Duarte, Las Vegas, Enterprise, Rainbow. Sorry to Utah. Sorry to the Honda RC213VS. Sorry to Peter Padgett. Did I say George in the show? I'm sorry to Mr. Paget, whatever the hell your name is. Peter, I think. Sorry to the end of the world. Sorry to Norman Reedus, by the way. Sorry to The Walking Dead. Sorry to e-bikes. Sorry to gas bikes. Sorry to peacocks. I didn't hit you, though. I did not hit you. Peacocks and peafowl in general. Look out. Sorry to... Uh, oh, shit. What's the guy's name? Lucky Baldwin. Damn it, I forgot his name already. Lucky Baldwin, sorry. Sorry to the L.A. County Arboretum. If you're in L.A. County, visit that place. Then stop by the Huntington Gardens, and then stop by the Mount Low Railway. Sorry to Thaddeus Lowe. Sorry to the White City. Sorry to anyone who can hear this last word. We're out! You know, I have this like crazy. I'm I'm crazy. So, leave this one. Leave this one a message. And oh god, damn it! I would I would Andre the Giant laying in the road in front of you. Twitch, uh, Twitch. The most interesting Twitch. It's all those piles of coke I was doing. Um, yeah. And if anybody's there, um, I don't know. I'll throw a dildo in their face and run away and pretend I was never there. <coughs> 
but um yeah the race up the hill the race um and um yeah i won't say the race up the mountain that's pike's peak the race to the clouds bottle her and sell her sweat <laughs> i am an asshole but uh go straight what the fuck am i even saying